You're listening to the Tipsy Nerds Book Club Podcast, your home for the best of science fiction and fantasy with a twist. Whether you prefer your stories with dragons or aliens, your beverages shaken or stirred, fill your glass, relax, and join the conversation with your hosts, sci-fi and fantasy authors and proud tipsy nerds, Natalie Wright and R.S. Dabney. Welcome Tipsy Nerds book lovers, Wonderland fans to the Tipsy Nerds Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Natalie Wright. And with me, as always, is my mountain climbing buddy, Robin Schofield. Hey, Robin. Hey, Natalie. How are you today? I am doing very well. We're very excited for this episode, so I've been looking forward to it. And we are, we have a special guest today, so we have to be at our best behavior because we have a, we have a visitor. Um, it is L.L. McKinney, author of the book we're discussing, Blade So Black, the first in the Nightmare Verse series. Hello, L. Hey, thanks for having me. We are so excited that you're here. There's a little bit of a story here about how we learned about you and your work because Robin, I think you met L.L. McKinney. Yeah, I did. I was at uh, Phoenix Fan Fusion. I believe that's the correct title for it now. Last summer, and I was, you know, strolling around in the upstairs area with all the authors, and I actually saw your book L at the um, the little bookseller station, and I loved the cover. It's such a striking cover. If you guys haven't seen it yet, um, look it up. Go on our social media pages. It's really, really eye catching. I picked up the book, and I somehow, you know, got the balls to ask LL to be on our show, <laughs> and. <laughs> She was so polite and she said yes. And and then, you know, we reached out a couple months later and here we are. So yeah, it was, you were so kind and polite. And again, thank you for coming on the show. I'm really happy to be here. It's amazing when I get to meet people and they're like, hey, come talk about the thing yeah. if you're open to that. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of why I'm here. Let's do the thing. Yeah. So I'm, right. I'm so happy that you did follow up and did ask me to come and be a part of this. Isn't that funny how we, like Natalie and I are both authors as well. And when we approach people, we're like, oh my God, they're going to absolutely say no. Why would they want to talk about their stuff? And it's like, no, as authors, that's what we want to do. So <laughs> yeah. It's- well, I think we have reason though, Robin. I mean, we're the, you know, if anyone's listening to the show, they're like, really? We're going to go talk to Robin and Natalie, the tipsy nerds. But hey, yeah. you know, you, you were game and, you know, so here you are. That's awesome. I think a lot of it, also has to do with like, even with being writers and it's still something that you're putting out into the world. So asking people to be part of it and come listen to, I I get that. I really do. Cause I'm kind of the same way. It's like, nobody's going to want to hear me talk about it. So when people ask me to talk about it, I'm like, yes, yes, I will come do the thing. (laughs) And we are definitely going to dive in in a minute, but before I forget, cause I have a tendency to forget this, Robin, what are we drinking today? So this was a, um, there were so many options in this book. I played with a lot of different ideas, but we are drinking something that I am calling through the highball glass, which is after our Star Wars episode and I got to be punny with the title, I was like, ooh, I'm going to like really work on this. So um, shout out to Through the Looking Glass, which was the uh, the follow-up to Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, the original source material, um, highball glass, because that's what we're serving it in. Um, it's based on a classic Knickerbocker, which is a cocktail from the mid-1800s, again, when this original source material came out. So I got really like weird with this one. But I wanted to do a rum drink because toward the beginning of the book, Alice 
makes a comment that Addison, who we will get into who these people are in just a second, smelled like spiced rum. And I was like, yes, Mm -hmm. we're doing rum. (laughs) And then also at one point, you know, they're drinking strawberry daiquiris in the bar. And I I thought about a strawberry daiquiri, but I wanted to do something a little more uh, timely with it. So doing a knickerbocker take through the highball glass. It's delicious. It's rum, raspberry syrup, orange curacao, and some fresh lime juice. So a really fresh, light drink. I love fruity drinks. They're my favorite. Like I'll go to a bar and be like, okay, so I need this sugar water sweet so I can drink more of them. And then the alcohol will like punch me in the face. (laughs) 20 minutes. That's what I want. I want it to sneak up on me. Okay. Good. good. This is is right up my alley. And I went and procured ingredients. So I'm drinking along with you guys. This is going to go great. Excellent. Well, hopefully you can have four of them and it's fruity and it's masked. You know, what I also thought about doing because Alice... Um, in the book likes Pepsi over Coke. And I am right there with her. I'm a Pepsi fan over Coke. And so I was like, I could just do a Pepsi and Coke, but I wanted to do something a little more fruity and fun. So I'm glad that fits and I'm glad we're all drinking it and enjoying it. Yes. Yeah, I like her anyway, even though she drinks Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let that yeah. pass. <laughs> so it's her mom and her like her mom's side of the family are the pepsi drinkers her dad and her grandma and like her friends and everybody love i mean it's atlanta what are you gonna do right (laughs) so like that's That's, central yeah i thought that was funny in a really great detail because yeah i mean if you've been you know to atlanta like everything is coke and um so i thought that was a cute fun detail in, in the story but hey we haven't done the setup so why don't you tell Everyone, if you can, uh, like, what is the book about? What is Blade So Black about? All right. So here's why I get to do my spiel. A Blade So Black both asks and answers the question, what if Buffy fell down the rabbit hole instead of Alice? Where we have this Black teenage girl in Atlanta and her after-school job is crossing into Wonderland to slay nightmares, which are physical manifestations of humanity's fears. Uh, one day, in the process of doing all of this, the person who uh, taught her everything she knows about Wonderland and how to fight ends up poisoned. And so she has to venture into Wonderland to find a cure. And she goes deeper than she's ever been before. And she could quite literally lose her head. Yeah. Nice yeah, that's really good. <laughs> I've had practice. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things when I first started reading this, I thought it was going to be just a retelling of Alice in Wonderland, but it's almost like a sequel. You take the material from the original story, but this isn't you reworking the original story. It's like this is after the original content and you write a fresh story with that. Yes. It's it's really funny because this is a thing that I kind of went and back and forth a little bit with my publisher about in the beginning stages was it's not really a retelling. I like to call it a reimagining. And there are people who come to it looking for certain retelling elements that just aren't going to be there and they get mad. And I get it. I I understand that you came looking for, you know, like a legit retelling. Uh, So I I can't begrudge anybody those negative feelings because, eh, um, But I really wanted to do something different with the story because retellings are fun and fascinating. But it was more along the lines of, well, what if this was an actual real place as opposed to, you know, some Victorian girl's acid trip, I guess, is what people (laughs) 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 some dreams she's having and what that would look like and how that would actually affect 
the real world? Like, how are they connected other than random holes at the bottom of trees? Like, what do you do? Or stepping through mirrors, which is also a thing, but hey. Right. Yeah. I mean, I actually liked that aspect of it because I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of just straight up retelling. So I liked how you took elements from Alice in Wonderland and creatively weaved them in little things like, you know, the mirror, like uh, some of the names or that's the feeling of it and, and a completely fresh take. One question I had was, were you, are you a fan of Alice in Wonderland? Is that a story that you enjoyed, um, you know, when you were younger? It or is. Now? I am a fan of Alice in Wonderland. It's one of the very few classics that I can kind of stomach and make it through, you know, without falling victim to like Catatonia via boredom. And I liked the Disney version. Um, And I actually kind of liked the new Disney version, um, despite how that started off. Because my initial reaction was nobody asked for this when they were like, (laughs) we're going to do a live action Alice in Wonderland. I'm like, okay. Uh, but yeah, I, I ended up enjoying it. I cosplay as uh, that Mad Hatter because um, it was an interesting character I found. But I've always really liked Alice in Wonderland because nothing makes sense there except for the fact that nothing makes sense, which is just its own sort of weird but amazing rule to have to try and abide by because it technically isn't a rule. It does lend itself well to um, anything that you want to do because there are no rules. So you can take it and do what you will with it, which is actually, it's very, you know, fertile ground for creative minds. It is. That's, uh, I do love that because whenever somebody's like, okay, so how does this work? And in my head, I'm like, I did it because I thought it was cool. But you can't say that. Like, that can't be a legitimate reason. So I'm like, it's Wonderland. I mean... (laughs) <laughs> that makes sense, right? It's one like it's Wonderland is the answer to all questions when it comes to to this book. Hey, I I'm a big fan of because I liked it, you know, because I thought it was cool. Like when I'm writing, that's a big like if if I want to see it, then I write it, and if anyone doesn't like it, then they can bite my ass. But you know, whatever. Um, so. But please don't actually bite my. <laughs> I feel ass. like my head went there. Like, like, like no one wants that. Like okay, so <laughs> okay. Totally fine. Um, So one of the things you mentioned that you cosplayed as the Mad Hatter, I loved. One of my favorite things about Alice's character in this was that she was a con girl, like a a Comic-Con convention girl. She cosplayed. That's not often a character you see in books. I was sitting there trying to think, like, has this person actually been written about? And I could not think of it. And we traveled to conventions too. And it's such a colorful wonderful group of people who attend these. And it, I don't know, I really appreciated the nod to that in her character. It really fleshed her out for me. I don't know why Alice is a (laughs) cosplayer other than the fact that everybody that I know, including myself, are cosplayers. So it's like, it's really weird that you have all of these teenagers running around saving the world and none of them dress up like the superheroes that they like. Like, (laughs) what is this? She's a literal badass, but has no connection to anything that we would view in our world as 
badass. It's like, no, Alice, and this isn't a spoiler, but she, she really enjoys Sailor Moon. So when she kills things, she says cosmic right. moon power because that's some shit I would do as a teenager, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> like, there are people who are, you know, finding their love of Sailor Moon now because they had the reboot or whatever. And then they're going back to the original, which... It's better, in my opinion. They're both good. I like them both. But the original is, I mean, it's the original. Come on. So pretending to be this amazing, superpowered princess or just the superpowered, you know, kicker and destroyer of evil things. And you're actually that. Like, that's a dream come true without the nearly well, and dying. It's super, super authentic, too, because a lot of the times our uh, young adult heroines, you know, you have like Katniss and all these people who are like these kind of sullen, tough, like, badass, whatever. And it's like, but really what a teenager would be like is somebody who likes Sailor Moon and then, like, jumps over into this other world and is this badass with daggers. I feel like that's actually a lot more relatable (laughs) to people because, like, that's how I would have been as a superhero, too. It wouldn't have been, like, brooding with my bow and arrow. I would have been, like, you know, let's talk Lord of the Rings and then, you know, go grab my greatsword and kill nightmares. So I liked that aspect. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't have been doing any of that shit. I would have been hiding under a table somewhere, <laughs> like, you know, sucking my thumb, hoping it goes away. <laughs> well, I mean, also true, because there's an aspect of Alice's story where she's like, why am I doing this? But, but she, I mean, grief makes you do weird shit. Right. So, so that's the other piece, though, that's really important and, and uh, about the story is where the story actually begins is with the death of her father. Mm-hmm. And it's related to Wonderland. I mean, the whole concept here starts with that, but it's, so she's got this great motivation from the beginning and you're absolutely right. It's not like just, Hey, let's just go trip around and, you know, jump into this nightmare world. No, like she's, she's really pulled into this nightmare world by necessity out of what happens in her life. So she's got a motivation to be there and, and a really powerful one. One thing that I wanted to, that, that struck me and a part of the story that I really liked and enjoyed was that she's got, there's all this great fun, like uh, snappy dialogue that happens with her and her friends, these high school kids. But there's also this other sort of note that's happening, which is that there's a relevance of today's world in the mm-hmm. story as well. And so there's the death of a young girl named Brianne. Is that how Brian? And yeah, Brian. Yeah. So she she was killed. I think it was because what they thought she was wearing gang colors, but she was actually celebrating with a teen colors. You know, everyone's wearing them, but she's a young black girl and she gets killed. And so there's this this piece of it that's right out of the headlines today that I thought you did a really wonderful job of tying that in again because it's like the nightmare things that are happening in our world are being affected by Wonderland. It's like there's yeah. a cross-mogination happening there. So my question, I guess, with that was, did you intend that from the beginning? Did you sit down and say, okay, I want to do this? Or was this something that came out of you as part of the writing process to include this story about Brian? It's a combination of both because I didn't want to write a book about race because for one, that's all we, and when I say we, I mean Black people, seem to be able to get a chance at writing about. 
It's the struggle. It's police brutality. Those are the stories that are front and center. It's racism, Jim Crow, and slavery. Like, those are the Academy Award-winning tales. Um, Meanwhile, I just want to go, you know, dick around in Middle Earth for a little while. Right. (laughs) And while race is an integral thing to the Black experience, it's not the end-all, be-all of the Black experience. So I didn't want to make that the focus. But at the same time, you kind of just can't pretend it's not a thing, right? right? So I came in wanting to do that, but at the same time, wanting to explore this idea of how certain aspects of fear affect certain communities in a certain way. So somebody ends up turning into a hashtag. I go to work and me and the other two Black people on my floor are heavy laden and burdened because we feel that. That is a thing. Like, I don't know this person, but that hurts me on a spiritual level. But everybody else is expecting me to carry on as if this isn't happening, as if it's not again, as if, you know, this isn't a problem in this country and on this planet. And you just have to go forward. And the fear that comes about it's tangible. It's a physical thing that affects the Black community. And it reflects in Alice's mother as well, because it reflects in our mothers and parents that the way that they behave changes forever sometimes, or, you know, for the foreseeable future. Like I had an instance where I forget, and it's, it's a shame that I forget who it was, because there are so many. Um, I forget who had just lost their life. And we're at my grandmother's house. It's me and my sisters and my mother, and we're watching the news about this. And none of us realized that my nephew was standing in the doorway. And he's six, five, six at the time. And so he asks my sister, he's like, Mommy, why do the police hate us? And you could see her deflate and having to explain to this kid who loves police cars, who thinks police are kind of cool, as a matter of fact. And it was the same with my little brother. You know, these are guys and women and people in uniform and they look awesome and they do, you know, they they catch the bad guys. This is the amazing thing we're told as children until you have to have the talk. And she had to fight back tears to explain that there's nothing that anybody did, but there's nothing that can be done about it, at least right now, unless you go through and like you have to change the way that you act, the way that you walk, the way that you talk in order for this to not happen. And it's not fair, but that's the reality of the situation. That's the fear that physically affects this community. And so turning it into creatures that Alice and only Alice could kill was something I intended from the very beginning. Well, I was just going to say, I think that it's very effective. It's very well done. And while someone that's not part of that community can never truly understand what that's like, I think that through Alice's experience, your empathy is increased by it. If that makes sense. Like, okay, I can't really experience that, but I can become more aware of that. And that's, but it's, it's done through the story. And I frankly think it's much more effective 
than listen to people shout about it on TV. You know what I'm saying? Like story is the way to get that across in a much more like deep soul level. And I think you did it in a really nice way. Again, as Natalie said, it's not an experience that she or I have ever had to go through, but you handle it in a way where you include that as a a really integral part of the story and you turn it into metaphor with her killing these nightmares. You give her back this incredible power, but you also give her complete character and agency beyond that. So as you said, it's part of her experience and part of her story, but she is also so many, so much more than just that in this. Mm -hmm. And I really liked that. She was a teenager. She had friends. She went to school. She had struggles. She had fears. I loved, one of my favorite parts of this actually was her conversations with her mother because it felt so authentic. And again, not coming from a place where this is an experience I've had to deal with. I could sit there and read this and it it made me feel. And I think that's a great sign of writing um, is when you can transfer your message through words and make somebody else feel. Um, I thought you handled that really, really nicely. And I, I appreciated that insight. Thank you. It was something that struggle isn't the right word because I didn't struggle with it. I guess wrestle would be with the closest thing I could say for lack of a better term, because it's something that I wanted to include in this story um, about these people, because, you know, they are people. But at the same time, I also wanted the focus to not be on that for this story. I do have stories coming that, you know, this is the focus. Because again, it's important. It's an aspect of the culture, unfortunately. But an aspect is just that. It's an aspect. It's not a full picture. So Right. And it's it's there, but... I also don't want listeners to think, like you said, that's, it's not the whole story. It's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of it, you know, is, I mean, first of all, there's the badassery. So one question I had for you is like, do you have any experience with like fighting martial arts, swords, and, like any of that? Do you moonlight you as a ninja? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, so, no, what's funny is I actually... Way back when, when everybody was enrolling their kids in karate, because that was the thing to do in the 90s, right? That was the, like the only extracurricular activity that wasn't controlled by the school. I started, but then broke my ankle in middle school, so oh, no. I had to pull out. But I don't know. The ability for someone to be able to physically beat the shit out of someone who deserves it has always <laughs> fascinated me on a on a level that I can't really explain. Like, I love a good fight scene. Nothing will kick me out of a movie. Well, okay. I won't say nothing will kick me out of a movie faster, but one of my top three things that will kick me out of a movie fairly quickly is if the fight isn't believable. Yeah. Is if you can have somebody, you know, going toe to toe, like Superman and so forth, you know, doomsday doing this great battle. But the minute it just leans over that edge of impossibly cool to just straight out impossible, you've lost me because you know, I pay attention to these little bitty details. Like she's not going to be able to pivot like that. Or if she's able to pivot like that because she has the super strength and speed, this is what it will look like potentially because physics are still a thing, right? So I, I, re- I, I don't have personally any experience with fighting aside from, you know, telling one of my sisters, hey, come here, I want to try something real quick <laughs> <laughs> in order to make sure, you know, to see or feel or be in that situation. 
they caught on fairly quickly into the book what was happening. <laughs> and we're like, no, by the way. So I, I watch a lot of movies. I watch a lot of demonstrations. I am on YouTube a whole lot for people to, you know, walk through what's going on, what's in your mind, how some of it becomes muscle memory. Um, and I also, I mean, video games are a big part of how I do storytelling because it's one of the first things I was introduced to as a method of storytelling. So I'll play like Mortal Kombat or something. And while, yes, it's impossible for somebody to like cartwheel kick through the air, it's still, vis- like it doesn't take away from the experience that you're having with that particular story. So... I myself, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not some fighter badass. It would be cool if I was. <laughs> um, and I can hold my own. Believe me, I got hands, <laughs> but <laughs> not on Alice's level. So what made you pick daggers as her weapon? You know what? I don't know. It just, that's one of the things that did just sort of happen. And I'm glad it did because she, she is capable with a sword. But there's something about Alice where... She likes being able to, if she needs to, defend herself from multiple angles. And that's the thing that I think came with that fear aspect that we were talking about earlier is it can come at you from any direction. And you need to be able to, one, fight off multiple attacks, two, defend yourself from multiple angles, and three daggers are a way to get in and get close and get it done. Yes, it kind of does open your you up to more risks because it doesn't have, you know, the the reach, but you're able to be faster. You're able to move quicker. You're able to get in closer and make sure that whatever needs to get doing gets done. You know, um, they're not the best defensive weapon. They're more of an offensive weapon. And that's Alice's whole thing at this point is her as a character and her as a person is a good defense. You know, the best defense is good offense. That That's how she just sees life. She's, if there's a problem, she's going to attack it. Um, she will figure out how to defend what needs to be defending. But she's the type of person where if a sacrifice needs to be made, like if I need to take a glance off of a shoulder or something, where it's not going to like, you know, amputate my arm or cause any complications or whatever. But if I could take this flesh wound to get this over with, say to people I got to save, I'm good with that. Yeah. So she's, it's funny you said video games because we'll, we'll get into like, what's your favorite video game in a minute, but like, she's like a rogue, right? So you have your different classes of warriors and such. So you have your warrior, your rogue, your mage. And so she's definitely, it was funny because I was thinking that when I was reading, she's like, cause I don't play a lot of video games. She's a rogue, little rogue character. And, and I think that's perfect for her particular character and what she needs to do. So very cool. Very well played. So who was your Thanks. who was your favorite character that you wrote about in this story? <laughs> okay. Well, now having just turned in book 3, my favorite character overall is Alice's grandma who is Nana Kingston, and that's her father's mother. And uh Nana Kay is mentioned in the first book, but she doesn't show up until the second book. Mm-hmm. But um in the first book, I- I'm going to say my favorite character to write aside from like Maddie Who's just, I don't know. There's something about Maddie that... I like Maddie too. I did. I loved her little... The things that came out of her mouth were really fun. (laughs) Yeah. It was just one of those things where it's like, 
I can write whatever I want and it's going to mean what I want it to mean, regardless of what it actually means. Um, so she was fun. But I think, ne- uh, well, not Nana Kay. I almost said Nana Kay again. I think Alice's mother, aside from Alice, of course, was one of my favorites to write because there's so much of my mother and my grandmothers and my aunties in her that, I don't know, she, she, she's one of the first characters that was whole in my head and in my heart. So when your family Alice's read this, mom. did they, were they like, oh my God, that's me? <laughs> well, okay. So the first person out of my family who read the whole thing was my father. And because the father dies at the beginning of the book, he's like, do we have a problem? Oh, no. <laughs> so I'm like, no, no, dad. It just, it's for the story. I don't watch that. Play. Okay. Yeah. So it, it was one of those. Um, but my mom, cracks up like she dies laughing and howling whenever Alice's mom is like going in on Alice she's like did did I do that I was like you've done that on many occasions but not just you granny also did it and you know our aunts did it mom bridge mom bonnie you know so it's 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 not just you mom so it was very amusing to the fam um when stuff like this happened but yeah Alice is my favorite character from not Alice. Alice's mother is my favorite character to write from in A Blade So Black and then subsequently in A Dream So Dark and then A Crown So Cursed. It's her grandma because her grandma... So this isn't a spoiler, but we are introduced to Alice's grandma in the second book because Alice and her mom have to go to the center where her grandmother is living in her apartment because Alice's grandma is getting into it with the neighbors. So there's this one neighbor that she has a fight with all the time. And this neighbor was about to have a party. And so Alice's grandma shakes up the case of Coke that's on its way to the party in chaos. (laughs) And we meet Alice's grandma when she's coming to the door saying, that better be Margie here to apologize because I'm not taking anybody's shit. Like that, that that is the first line or I'm probably paraphrasing it because I can't remember exactly. But that is the first line that we get out of Nana Kay's mouth is she's ready to, you know, it's on site for this other woman at the senior center. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's a great picture, a visual picture of it. Yeah, I could see it. That's awesome. So there are three total books going to be in this series or will there be more? So there are three total books in this trilogy. Uh, And this trilogy is the first set of stories in the Nightmareverse. It looks like the Nightmareverse is going to be a whole thing, which I'm happy about, because there's also going to be a prequel. And that prequel, it follows uh, Baudelaire, who goes by Bodhi. She is a dreamwalker from France in the 1880s, early 1890s. And her story is actually, there's an anthology called Wonderland, an anthology. And it's got like the white rabbit on the front. And there's a short story in there that I wrote called What Makes a Monster. And Bodhi is investigating with her, she's a dreamwalker like Alice, and she's investigating with her gatekeeper, who is the Duchess, which who we meet in A Blade So Black. So word has reached the Duchess's dress shop in St. Petersburg that there's a killer on the loose in Whitechapel, London. And after hearing all of these tales and everything that's going on with what they're calling the Ripper murders, the Duchess is like, the reason they're not finding the person behind this is because that's a nightmare. We have to go deal with that. So her and Bodhi (laughs) 
go over to Whitechapel, London. And that's, that's their story is, is um, seeing, you know, her come from being who she is in France. She's a uh, white passing black girl in 1880s France. And she's a dreamwalker uh, because of, you know, life circumstances, things happen. And so now she is going to hunt Jack the Ripper, who's not a person in this version of the story. And so, uh, yeah, that's that's going to be the yeah, second. That's cool right, book. that's like that's one of those. Every you know, as a writer, every once in a while, I'll hear somebody's idea, and I'm like, "Damn it, why didn't I think of that?" <laughs> and right. I, I had that as you were telling this. I was like, "I cannot wait to read this story." <laughs> right, right. It's like the thing that we didn't know we needed, but we were really always wanted. Right. <laughs> and you hear about, it and you're like, "Yes, that one. Do that." Yeah. So, so, so I'm, I'm really excited cool. about it. Um, and the book won't be out. I don't know when that book's going to drop, honestly, um, because I'm just now, I'm still doing stuff with book three, getting it ready to be released and figuring out Bodhi's story and more about her life and expanding it. Um, But anybody who wants to taste, like I said, it's part of the anthology, Wonderland, an anthology, and it's called What Makes a Monster. Cool. And the other good thing I got out of that that I want listeners to hone in on is that books one and two, of this current trilogy are out and the third one is is being finalized. So if you are a listener, this isn't one of those series you're going to get into that L is not going to finish. <laughs> it sounds like it's almost <laughs> done. So please, uh, you know, sometimes people are deterred from starting a trilogy because they don't want to wait. It sounds like this one is just about complete. So it's worth diving into. Yes. Um, it's close to being finished. I'm kind of scared, but I mean... It's it's writing the end to the end, but it's technically not the end because the Nightmare Verse will live on in other stories. And um, I'm hoping to come back to these characters, uh, whether it's through Alice's life as it happens after book three or anybody else drifting away from her as a focal character, because there are a lot of amazing people in these books and a lot of characters that I would happily follow off into their own adventure, so. Right, yeah, you've got a lot of options there and material. Like like Addison, I mean, he's got this cool, I mean, there's a lot there, geez, with his backstory. Yes, I have been I'm, asked, <laughs> there were people who were like, is the prequel an Addison prequel? Please, please, right. please. It was like, no. Not that I'm averse to writing an Addison prequel, but that's just not the one that, is on Goodreads right now. <laughs> so right. Um, his prequel would be amazing to explore, not just what happened during the cataclysm and the war and everything, but, you know, what led to him going on the path that he ended up being, you know, who he is and doing what he does with Alice in the real world and training her and whatnot. Yeah, but, I mean, that, yeah. that seemed like kind of an obvious one that could call for a, uh, more explanation because this is Alice's story, but I mean, all of them have a story. He, he, and probably Maddie were the ones that I was like, "What's up with that? Like, what's up <laughs> with her? Like, I yeah. love her." And yeah, the things she says, it's like, how did she end up in this place? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you got a lot to work with. 
I do. And for you know, folks who are listening who haven't read the book, uh, there was a war in Wonderland. It's there's no this again. It's not a spoiler. It's just an aspect of the story. Um, there was a war in Wonderland, and that's how we got the Red and White Queens. Which you sh- if you do Wonderland at all, you probably know who they are. But that's that's how I, you know, uh, brought about the existence of the Red and White Queen. It wasn't a tart. It was a whole war. So yeah, right. Yeah, very cool. It made a lot of sense. Robin, it sounded like you were going to... Oh, well, I just wanted to jump in (laughs) and say that um, Addison's last name is Hatta for anybody who's listening. So (laughs) you can probably determine for yourself why we want a prequel and why it would be so interesting. But I'll let you read to find out more. But Addison Hatta, I love the nods to the the source material too. That's one of my favorite parts is people asking, so is this person, this person, like Alice, the Duchess and Addison are the only ones whose names dictate who they are. Well, okay. So I'll take that back. There's also the two Dreamwalkers who are twins, the Tweedlenovs, um, who are you know, Tweedledee and Tweedledum. But other than that, there are no names to go with the other characters who are present and there are a mul- multiple characters present from the original tales. People are like, when's the white rabbit going to show up and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, Alice isn't going to call him the white rabbit because right. that's not a thing in my version. So you, you got to kind of pay attention just a little bit. Um, but I will say that my my favorite cameos are Alice's cat. She has two cats, one named Lewis and one named Carol. I was just going to bring them Carol. up. Yeah, I loved, I loved that in the book. I was like, yes, what a wonderful shout out. Well, the other thing about the, the, the book and the writing that's so cool is, again, the reimagining of it. I mean, she's not stepping into like the, what, the 1950s or 60s version of Alice in Wonderland that, you know, a lot of us grew up with. She's walking into something that you've completely reimagined. So when she goes to... Um, the glow, the glow forest, like when she first steps into this, how you describe that and what it's like is all very fresh and new. And, but just as like wonderful, you know, just as like amazement, amazing. You know what I'm saying? Like she's the wonder of it. So I really like that too. I really felt like I could see this as a show or movie. Have there been any interest or have you pursued any interest in? optioning this for a screen? There has been. I can't really talk a whole lot about it. For one, because, you know, in the entertainment world, certain things are secret until they're not secret anymore. (laughs) Um, But also, I can't talk about it because I don't know anything. Because one thing that people don't really realize, unless you're like, I don't know, Stephen King or J.K. Rowling, um, is that when you sell your option to do a movie or a TV show, that is it. You are done. You are receiving money so that they can run off and do whatever it is they want to do. Normally, I would say, well, I, I won't say normally because a lot of the time the book is better than the movie. Um, let's, just, let's just get that out of the way. But very often they will try to be as uh, faithful to the source material as possible. But I mean, books and Visual media are two separate things that tell story in two separate ways. So stuff has to get cut and moved around. But I have no say in any of that. Not nothing. So 
whenever somebody's book is made into a TV show or a movie and, you know, fans of the book come back and, you know, they might be angry about something, it's, I understand, you know, it, it's, it can be kind of frustrating for the writer because it's like, I, I can't do anything about that, despite whatever it is um, people might think. Like, I, there's no control. There's, there's no control. Nobody even has to like pick up a phone or send a text or email saying, hey, is it okay if we... No, that doesn't happen um, unless the studio wants it to happen, which a lot of, you know, good producers and studios, they do that, which is why we get amazing movies like, you know, Dumplin' and To All the Boys I Loved Before, you know, and soon Tiny Pretty Things. But there has been interest. I'm really excited. I'm hoping it goes somewhere because just because something is optioned doesn't mean it will happen. It's just that it's a possibility that it could happen. So right. So it has Natalie's been gonna try. We're gonna get as everything we can okay. out of well, it. As much as you can give away. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh switching gears just a little <laughs> bit. Um when we bring authors on here, we'd love to hear a little bit about their writing experiences. Like what what led you to the point where you wrote this novel like what did you did you write growing up did you write stories like what what made you think yes I have to do this for the rest of my life kind of thing yeah so um I did tell stories um from like you know knee high or whatever my grandmother would very often share that I was reading by the age of two which I don't know how that's you know a thing but I guess it was because my parents corroborate but whatever. Um, so I love, I've always loved books. And at first, you know, before you, you can really write, I would draw picture books to tell stories. And then I progressed into telling actual stories. And in sixth grade, one story led to me being able to go to space camp. That was awesome. Um, awesome. So I loved stories and storytelling until my freshman year in high school when an English teacher told my parents that writing is a distraction for Latrice what? and she should stop. Said almost what? no one ever. Yes. <laughs> right. Well, because what would happen is I would, we had ridiculously long class periods. We would have four classes a day, two, close to two hours for each class. Oh. So I would finish my work early. And rather than just sitting there, you know, twiddling my thumbs, I would work on my own stuff because I wrote Sailor Moon fan fiction because <laughs> that's what you do, right? right. So I would work on my own stuff. And this upset this teacher that I was doing non-classroom stuff in the classroom, but she completely ignored the fact that I had already finished the classroom stuff. And so my parents, who were supportive, but had had trouble with with teachers saying things like this about me and my sisters, because, you know, smart black girls can't have that. We're just like, okay, so what if you just don't do it in her class? Because this, this is a headache you, you don't need, because they'll make it into something if they can. And this is before the days of social media, where if somebody does your baby wrong, it could get national attention, you know, within days. <laughs> So it was one of those things where it's like, keep your head down so you can keep your head. That's the important part. Not saying that I shouldn't write, but play the game as it's so often referred to. So I, I didn't write again until college. And even then I went to school to make video games because that had had an effect on me. And it wasn't until the first Twilight movie. And this is no hate. No shade on anyone who likes those books 
or those movies. They're just not for me. It's fine. But I was watching the first Twilight movie after I had DNF the first Twilight book. I had got to like page 99. It was like, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't be in this girl's head. And I was like, well, damn it, if she can do this, I can do this. And so that's what spurred me on to take writing, you know, professionally serious, to to do it towards being published as opposed to for my own enjoyment. And that was about 10 years ago. I mean, that's about when, you know, the Twilight movies came out. So um, I wrote, how many books? I wrote three books, technically four, because I was 12 when I wrote my first book, which was technically Power Ranger fan fiction, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, So I wrote three books for publication before Alice. And all three of those books were, the protagonist was White Boy, because I thought that's what you had to publish, to write to be published, because that's all I read. Because that's all there was. And so I'm sitting on my mom's couch one day, watching Supernatural reruns, as one does. And earlier, Disney had announced that they were going to do a live-action remake of Alice in Wonderland, which, like I said earlier, my initial reaction was, nobody asked for this. Well, the Winchesters are making, you know, they're quipping, is what they do. And there's like a Buffy reference. And so I'm like, well, if this is a real world, this Alice in Wonderland, and it's not this acid trip, then that means, you know, stuff like the Jabberwocky is real you know, jaws that bite and claws that catch. So uh, if Alice is there, she should probably be able to defend herself. So I gave Alice swords. And then I was like, well, I like daggers more. And so I wrote a fight scene and I liked it. And I kept going. And Alice was black from jump because I had grown up loving science fiction and fantasy, but never seeing my community reflected on the page or on screen, or if we were there, we were being killed or with a sassy black friend, or there was only one of us because there could only ever be one of us in space. (laughs) So realizing this and having my sisters have kids who are growing up and I'm indoctrinating them into the ways of the geek, like they're loving comics and movies and video games. Like they're going to start reading these books and I will be damned if there's not at least one book in this genre that they can pick up that's not about Jim Crow or slavery. Not that those stories aren't important, but we need all, you know, all walks. And so that, that, that was my thing is I'll be damned if there's not at least one book. So I started writing because if she can do it, I can do it. Yeah. And Alice came about four books later, three, four books later, um, because up until that point, I hadn't given myself permission to be the hero. Right. Because the world hadn't given me permission to be the hero. So in reading, you know, finding N.K. Jemison and Toni Morrison and Octavia Butler, who has been around for, you know, as long as she has. But I didn't know her name until college because high schools don't really do a great job with that. At least my high school didn't here in Kansas. So, So that's my process of getting to getting from writing stories as a wee thing to, yeah, I'm going to see my name on a shelf and there's going to be a badass Black girl on the cover if I have anything to say about it. Right. I think that's really fascinating. Uh, all of that. I mean, I can, I can relate to some of that too. Like, um, you know, having uh, a teacher be dismissive 
for who knows what reasons, you know what I'm saying? I mean, sometimes there's just, I mean, I had that too and didn't write, it's a very similar thing where I didn't write for a really long time because of uh, treatment or uh, that I got from a teacher. And um, so don't kill dreams, people out there. <laughs> don't right. do that. Like, I mean, it's very frustrating because you see a lot on Twitter or on social media where people thank this or that teacher Right. Because, you know, they honed that what that spark or that light or whatever that they saw in them. Meanwhile, people don't realize that, well, there was also some teachers out there that kind of snuffed some things out for people and are probably, you know, like today snuffing things out in some students. And it sucks. And it's just one of those things where if you are a person in a position of authority, particularly over children, over minors, you need to take that seriously because what might be an offhand comment because you don't like something that they're doing could affect them for the rest of their life. And I don't know. I mean, I'm sure maybe something would have come along because now there are just so many amazing stories being told, not nearly enough, but it's better than what it was that maybe one of those would have jump started me into doing that. But if the right, you know, maelstrom of just being fed up with one, not seeing myself and two, being like, well, yes, of course I can do this. Hadn't happened. I I don't know where I would be right now. All because of a off the wall comment from one person, however many years ago. I know. Isn't it amazing how we people, we let that happen to ourselves. And so um, it's, I mean, it's really damned hard to get into the chair and write. There are a million and one reasons not to. So I'm really glad that you found or the courage came to you or, you know, the inspiration of just like, well, this is a piece of crap. I can, I can you know, I, I can do better or I can do as good <laughs> as this. I love that 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 you didn't let anything hold you down. You know, you just kept at it. I think all writers to a certain extent have a story like that and some, some aspect of that because it's, it takes, it takes courage to um, put yourself out there with uh, something so personal. So we're very glad that you did and uh, very glad that you came on the show to talk with us about it. We thoroughly enjoyed reading A Blade So Black and we hope that our listeners will give it um, give it a read. And it absolutely is the thing, a thing that needs to be like on Netflix or on a streaming service because it's it's like a, a fresh take on two things we love, Buffy, Buffy-esque kind of girl power fighting with nods to Wonderland, but a fresh new spin on that. So it was really, really excellent. We enjoyed it thoroughly. Thank you. I'm I'm hoping to see it on the small screen as well. I, I think that Alice and the Nightmare Verse would lend itself very well to television just because you can tell a longer story over, you know, several hours, dozens of hours, if you're lucky, as opposed to, you know, two or three here or there. So um, here's hoping, you know, yeah. cross your cross your fingers and think good thoughts, <laughs> guys. And we, we raise our glass to you. Yeah, it definitely lends itself to episodic storytelling. So we thank you so much for coming on the show and we do hope to have you back. Keep us posted. And um, uh, we would love to have you back sometime to talk about another of your stories. 
and we wish you all the best. Thank you for having me. And I would love to be back, especially if there's going to be delicious alcohol involved. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rum, yum, yum. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Tipsy Nerds Book Club podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the fun with your friends and family. Love what you heard and want the fun to continue? Head over to Patreon and become a patron of the Tipsy Nerds podcast. We love our patrons. Want a recipe for a cocktail you heard here? You can find recipes as well as show notes, episode transcripts, and helpful links on our website, tipsynerdsbookclub.com. And as always, join us next week for a new episode of Libations and Geeking Out. Cheers.